0: and Davey's The Unbreakable Farmer and welcome to the Beyond the Back Paddock podcast where I have the privilege to be joined by some amazing people I get to meet in my travels and share their stories and wisdom with you. After all one of the most powerful assets of any community is the shared wisdom and the best way to share that wisdom is through storytelling. So sit back and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to the podcast. When I set out to create a podcast, I had a particular guest in mind. Today's guest is that person. Um, My my guest today had a massive impact on what I actually do today. Um, She probably doesn't realize the impact that she had on my journey as a speaker. Um, We we met met back in 2018 at an event in South Australia. The impact that that she had on my life has um, changed the way that I thought, thought about being a speaker and how I'd share my story. Her life hasn't been easy and has had plenty of ups and downs, and I can't wait for her to share her story with us. So please welcome to Beyond the Back Paddock podcast, Lucy Marsh. G'day, Lucy. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thanks, Warren. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. And as I said, um I had a particular guest in mind and, and you were it at the start and I never ever imagined that you would say yes. So um it's an absolute privilege to to have you on the podcast today. Um and as I said, we met back in in 2018, and I think I've explained this to you. We had a chat on the phone a couple of weeks ago, and um a lot of people that have, have seen seen me speak and present since then would know who you are not by your last name but know a little bit about your story because of the impact that you had on me I share a little bit in in a bit of my presentation about the night we met and the impact that it had on me and also I think about the power of storytelling and we'll talk about a little bit about that um, as we go along about you know that power of storytelling and why that was so important to me, but um first off, I'd just like um you to share with the audience a little bit about your story, like growing up and you know where you're from and 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 some of the the challenges that you faced and and when you realize that you're facing some challenges along your along your journey.
1: Um, yeah, so I am 21 at the moment. I live in Adelaide. I grew up in a small town about an hour out of Adelaide. Um, growing up, I was I was described as a very happy kid, and that's what I remember. Um, always outside, I was always, you know, into something, pushing boundaries, as my parents would say. Um, and then got, getting into primary school... As I got a little bit older, sort of around year six and seven, um, I was bullied a little bit and then I wanted to move school so desperately and mum and dad kept me where I was and I met a really lovely, One of my, my year seven teacher was really lovely, supported me through all of that and then went off to high school. And I went to high school, my high school was triple the size of what my primary school was um, and everything was all good for the first little bit. And then the same sort of thing started happening, but on a much, much bigger scale, um, all the bullying. And it's kind of the classic, I don't really remember a lot of what was said to me, but holy shit, I remember how it made me feel. Um, and I, I told my mum that this bullying was going on and a lot of you know, mum goes into bat for me quite a lot and did at that age as well. But not a lot was done by the school, unfortunately. Um, a lot of it was put back on me and working on my resilience, not actually what was, what was going on. And there was some pretty nasty stuff. Um, and then I just remember my mood dropping a lot. I was quite angry. Um, and then it kind of all melts into one i don't it was a long time ago i, I worked out with mum yesterday it was 8 years ago that she first took me to the doctor and mum sort of started noticing the the ongoing tears the isolation socially and i was a netballer when i was younger and i ended up doing my knee in that same year and it was like everything that i like netball was the only place that i really felt myself because I was good at it no one asked me to be anything but myself because I was good at it and it was just stripped away in seconds and it was like a 12-month injury so I was was out for it um and that's when it all dropped because I lost the last little outlet that I had and mum yeah took me to the doctor and I started seeing a psychologist who is still my psychologist today. I was very, very lucky that my first one was the one that stuck. Um, Yeah. was put on some antidepressants and yeah, it all started from there.
0: So I'll just take you back a little bit. When you talk about at school being bullied, the impact that that had on you, what, what sort of things were you noticing in yourself or, or how was it affecting you because you know bullying i think is very underestimated the impact that it can have on on somebody um i know through my own journey that's that's something that i i really never realized until much later on in life that the impact and how that sat with me um you know people that have heard me talk uh, here a story I share about uh, grade three, an incident in grade three starting at a new school and and how that still affects me today just shows how deep-seated that impact is. So what impact was that bullying having on you?
1: Um, It stripped away everything that at the foundation is who I am. Like I'm such a confident, outgoing person. I don't question a lot of who I am. Um, Mum would say like we would walk into a shop And we wouldn't be able to find something. And straight away, I'd go, oh, let's just go and ask someone. And I'd go off and ask. And it just stripped away completely. Just all of that, I lost all confidence the way that I would. Like my internal monologue changed. It just became this negative. And it was almost I was trying to beat them in the sense of, well, there's nothing you can say to me that isn't as bad as what I say to myself. So I was trying to lessen the impact of the bullying by then speaking that way to myself so that it would impact me less. So it just stripped me of all confidence, of all, yeah, just became so withdrawn. It just wasn't me at all.
0: So as you, as you moved into like high school, into secondary school, um obviously as you got older and maybe had a little bit more understanding of what was going on um how, how was it impacting you then
1: um the same thing but on an even bigger scale and i was going through high school at the time when all social media was starting to like really take off for kids my age like it wasn't normal for 13 year olds to have all this social media, but it was starting to become normal. So I couldn't escape it anywhere that I went. And sometimes I talk to people about it now and they say, well, it was good because when they were younger, cause they didn't have the phones or the computers or anything. So it just happened at school. And when they left school, it was gone. But I, you know, I was 13. I had my first phone and it came with me everywhere. So the bullying came with me everywhere and I was so ashamed of what these people were saying to me and it was like well no one else was saying anything different to me so I just started to believe that it was true so I started to believe that you know maybe the world would be better off if I wasn't here because I had no other friends that were telling me any different
0: yeah um so when you um you talked about your your mum taking you to the doctors eight years ago. So when you sat down with that doctor, that must have been um, a very daunting experience. Um, most people, when they first go to the doctors, it's daunting. So what what things were said to you, and and what was the course of action at that stage?
1: Um. I don't really remember what was said, but I remember filling out a form like of my mood and it was, you know, on a scale of, you know, no days to every day. How often have you felt like this in the last two weeks? And filling out the forms and sort of seeing on paper that, oh, maybe I'm not as well as I think I am. Um, And... Founder, she referred me on to see a psychologist. And I didn't really understand the weight of what was going on because it was, I didn't really know anything different at the time. That was just how I was feeling, and that's what it was. But for little 13 year old me, that's how I was going to feel for the rest of my life. So then the thoughts of, well, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? What's the point? started to creep in, which is when I moved schools. So I went to my first high school for a year, moved schools in year nine back to Murray Bridge. And I couldn't really work out. I was still feeling the same feelings, but there wasn't, I wasn't getting bullied. So I didn't, I didn't understand like what the fuck's going on. I still feel the same. I'm still having the same behavior. I'm still thinking the same things about myself. I still don't want to be here, but nothing is causing that. So you start to think you're a little bit crazy. Um, so then the same doctor referred me on to see a psychiatrist. And I think I was around, yeah, 13 or 14, and they diagnosed me with depression and anxiety. And a bunch of medications came on board of, different trials and all those things Um, but it was so hard because the psychiatrist would rotate every six months so everyone has their own idea of what's wrong with you and what medications you need and I felt like I was repeating myself over and over and over again Um, and just, yeah, restarting the process of getting help and you just get to know someone because it's a big thing to spare all to this random stranger in a room when you're 13 so you just get to know someone and then they'd change again and the next person would come in um so that was really tough that was tough
0: I think you've hit on a really important point there about care and about the continuity of care and particularly living in small rural communities um you know not having that constant anymore like i know in our town now you know you go to the doctors now you get whoever you get where you know back 10 15 years ago you'd see the same doctor every time um that continuity of care is is really important i think and it's something that's lacking within our mental health space at the moment where you you know have to keep resharing your story and yeah, um, keep telling that story to to different people, and as you said, everyone's got a different perspective. So it, it adds a little bit more confusion, um, you know, to uh, you know, by telling that story over and over again um, to different people, it just adds more confusion to to what's going on in your own internal um, talk as well. If you if you're comfortable in sharing, so um with me or with the audience how as you said as as this evolved and you're 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 diagnosed with depression and anxiety um how low were you getting and and, and what was your thinking what was your internal conversations with yourself um obviously now as you're you know thirteen, fourteen you're getting older, you're probably a little bit more aware of what's going on, but what were those conversations and, and, and where were you at, you know, emotionally and um, physically and um and how is that affecting you and, and what was going on?
1: Um, the internal monologue was dark and I actually, when I moved to Adelaide, I was, you know, packing up my stuff and i found all these journals from those years and like i was talking about suicide in those journals when i was in year 7 and i i don't remember having those thoughts that young but I, obviously they were there um but yeah they were they were really dark and i i look back now and i just it makes me sad cuz like 13 14 15 you know, those extending years, you it's already so hard because, you know, you're you're changing, everything around you is changing. You're sort of trying to work out who you are and where you fit and this added pressure of, well, I don't want to fit in at all because I just I don't want to be here. I didn't see any future for myself and I ended up I was in and out of hospital at the Women's and Children's for maybe three years, Um, and there was one night where it it all came ahead and I had changed my room around and I had gotten rid of a heap of stuff and mum came in and just said, "What what are you doing? And I just told her that I just wanted to change it and I'd made these, posters on the computer with all these different places that I had wanted to travel to. But I, in my head, I was never going to get there. So I just had to see the pictures and I'd stuck them up on the wall. And I messaged mum. I went to bed that night and I messaged mum and said, can you come into my room, please? And I was just hysterical. And it was the first time I'd said out loud to her, I want to die. I don't I don't want to be here anymore. I've had enough. And I'm glad the room was dark because I would have hated to see the look on mum's face. Um and that was so tough because I could feel what I was doing to her and I could feel what I was doing to my family, but I couldn't stop it. Um and The next day, I was admitted into hospital, I think, for the first time, which was so daunting and really scary. Um, But it was so, yeah, just dark. My head was dark, my problem solving. And even now, I know sort of where I'm at without having to think about it too much because of my problem solving. And like something will happen and straight away my thoughts would be, well, if I wasn't here, then I wouldn't have to deal with it. So why don't we just do that?
0: It's a powerful thing. <clears throat> um, your your head is a powerful thing and, and some of those conversations can be very convincing. <laughs> um, yeah. <clears throat> so once you're admitted into hospital, um, obviously, and look at, um, your mum. I know your family, your um, your family are, are very supportive supportive of you. Um, once you're in hospital, um, what was the? I'm trying to think of the right words to say. Uh, what was the the um, the journey like from there? Because um, once you've been admitted into hospital, that that makes it you know, very clear that there's something not right um, and that you need, you know, some fairly heavy intervention. So from there, um, what was the care look like to you and, and obviously your family as well because there was, you know, times where your family were, would have been on tender hooks and walking a fine line whether to know what's going to tip you over the edge kind of thinking.
1: Yeah. Um the care was So it was like an open sort of ward like it wasn't you're not in your own room with a hospital bed. Um but it was strange cuz they like they take your phone cords from you, the shower has one temperature because obviously if you have it too hot it can be used as self-harm. Um, all the doors can be unlocked from, like, it was just a whole different world that things I'd never even thought of. Um, but if I remember correctly, and I actually wanted to speak about this, I think that's the day that my brother found out that I was actually unwell. Um, he didn't know, he he probably knew something was up. Obviously I wasn't myself. Um, but I, I think that is the day that he knew that I was really unwell was the day that I went into hospital for the first time. So dad, I didn't want dad to, and my brother to know for a long time. And I actually wrote dad a letter and told him. And that was the day that my brother found out. And I had, if I could go back and change one thing, it would be, I wish I had told them earlier. Had, that, that, conv-
0: was, had that conversation yeah. with just with your brother or with your dad and like with your family. Cause just with my whole family yeah from listening to your story that you're fairly open and obviously back then it was a little bit different to what it is now but um your mum obviously knew what was going on um but your dad and your brother didn't and it would have become would have come a fair as a fair shock to them
1: yeah and i think Because of how I described as I I was as a kid to then what I became, it was so different and they would have known that something was going on and it was almost I could just snap at any point and like you said, not knowing what was going to set me off and what was going to make me feel good and one day one thing would work and the next day it wouldn't. So they were so worried about stepping on my toes that they just sort of pulled back altogether, which is so fair enough because I didn't know any different you know it was kind of just well if i don't say anything then i can't do anything wrong and i wish that i had spoken to them earlier
0: yeah and um and obviously they now know that journey that you're on and um and so how was your brother's reaction um to that because that's one thing that people really you know one of the things that stops a lot of conversations around mental illness and suicide is you know um one not knowing what to say or how to approach it or or then what do you say once you know how was your brother's reaction once he did find out um how you were struggling um and how how did that change or affect your relationship?
1: I think he was just really upset, and I wasn't there because I was in the hospital when, um, so mum dropped me off and then went home to get a heap of stuff for me to bring it back to the hospital, and that was when he was told So mum would have picked him up from school, I assume, um, and I think he was just really upset, and it changed the relationship because he didn't know what to do, and. I never told them. Um, So it was kind of just a guessing game as to, and like I said, I would just snap at the drop of a hat and I'd get really, really angry and say some really hurtful things that I could hear myself saying, but I couldn't stop them. Um, So it definitely pushed us well apart. But I look back now and think, and the reason I say I'd go back and change it is because if the shoe was on the other foot and he had been going through this and I didn't know about it, I'd be so devastated, Yeah, so devastated.
0: So you've got an understanding looking back the other way. Yeah. So so once you've been into hospital, um, did you get obviously released from hospital because you, you've already um, – alluded to that you've been in and out of hospital a few times. So Yeah. What what was the journey like from there once, you know, that the the intervention was fairly um you know, fairly full on to start off with. Once you've got out of hospital, how did life look like then?
1: Um a lot of appointments. Um pretty much just checking in to make sure that I was alive. Um, I was, uh, because I was still at school, my school counsellor was just beautiful. Um, So I would spend a lot of time curled up on the couch in her office um, because school was, it was a lot for me, just so draining. Um, Having to put on this big performance of Lucy's OK But then I can see I lost a lot of friendships at school. And again, looking back now that I'm 21, I can look back and I can see why. But at the time, I didn't understand. But it was like I'd be fine, appear that I was fine, and then I'd just disappear for two weeks and I'd be in hospital, not tell anyone, come back, and everything's still fine. And it was just that you never, no one ever knew what they were going to get from me. And so they just, again, distanced themselves. But, yeah, the care was a lot of appointments. Mum pretty much became a full-time carer. Um, and mum does work for um, dad's business, so it was easy. We were very, very lucky in that sense that we had the flexibility to move around and, and she could drop anything at any time to take me anywhere that I needed to go but at the time I was still like in a span of five years I had seven knee operations so then there was that load on top of it as well and exercise is is huge for me to maintain a a baseline of well-being and I didn't have a lot of that either so I was yeah burning the candle at both ends for a long time.
0: So moving forward getting towards the end of your school um, life um, or at your time at school, how is that looking for you? And, and, and you know, I think you said um, in the messages that you've sent me you left school in year 11. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yep. <laughs> um, yep. And was that – did you leave school because of – how you were traveling or was that just a decision at school, you'd had enough of school?
1: Um, So I'd actually grad, like I had enough points to finish school at the end of year 11. Yep. And it just wasn't suiting me anymore. And I have said, look back and said, if I'd stayed at school for the duration of year 12, I would have been dead. Yep. Because it just was, it wasn't, I was just ready for something different. I'd I'd outgrown the space and I felt like I loved the school did so much for me and I can't fault them one bit, but I had outgrown the school setting. Um, And so I left, yeah, at the end of year 11. But in year 11, I was, year 11 was big. I was diagnosed with bipolar, um, which then changed an array of different medications so I they don't normally diagnose you until you're over 18 because you're still changing so it, it can present to so many different things but I actually found a new psychiatrist that I am still seeing now when I was about 16 um, and she was continuous which is so helpful. But when I was in hospital, they queried whether I had borderline personality disorder. And when I spoke to my new psychiatrist about it, she was kind of a bit, "Uh, I don't know, it doesn't really sit right. And then mum noticed that I was just having these, it just didn't, the diagnosis of depression just didn't seem right anymore. 'cause I was having these huge high highs and these really intense obviously I've spoken really low lows. And the highs were higher than they should have been at the time. Just um like I wasn't sleeping. Like I was getting up I was going to sleep at probably twelve o'clock at night. Getting up at four forty five to go to the gym. I'd spend two hours at the gym and then I'd go to school. I'd I was eating a lot, which was a really out of character for me, eating a lot. Um, I was saying some really bizarre things, um, saying some things that I thought were really funny but were actually really hurtful and I couldn't really work out why people were not getting what I was saying. I wanted to apply for credit cards um, and so mum explained this to my psychiatrist and I was really pissed off. Because I was thinking, well, I'm not suicidal, so aren't you happy that I'm happy? But it was like a really unhealthy cycle that I was going through of I wasn't sleeping, just all this stuff going on. So she kept an eye on it, and we landed on a bipolar diagnosis. Um, so that was a lot. because. Bipolar has quite a stigma to it, that you're a little bit crazy. Um, But working out how to manage that has been one of the most, um, I can't even think of the word to describe the journey of working out how to manage that, but also everything made sense after having that conversation with her.
0: So it's like a the missing jigsaw piece puzzle or oh, jigsaw yeah. bit for your puzzle. <laughs> yeah,
1: so 100%. So how, how does
0: that now affect that diagnosis? How does, and I know you said it's hard to explain, but how does that affect your life now? Um, are you on top of that? Is that through medication or what else do you have to do to, um, to make sure that you're on top of that diagnosis?
1: Um. Well, at the start, I I really struggled because I would put myself in a box and it was the role that I played in everyone's life is that I was the one that was mentally unwell. So even when I wasn't unwell, I felt the need to be unwell because I didn't really know what else to do. And as I became well, like these last couple of years, I've had a lot of conversations with my psychologist of how do I, because I am well, but how do I be well? How do I do that? I don't know what to do. And I would have days where I'd feel just genuinely happy, but I wouldn't know what to do. So I would put myself back in that spot of I'm depressed because I knew how to do that. I knew, you know, you stay in bed, you shut the curtains, you don't eat, you don't shower. I knew exactly what to do. So these last couple of years of being well have been like relearning how to do life and, and it's okay to to be well. People want that for you because I used to think that if I was well and if I had a good day, people wouldn't believe me that I was having bad days. But staying on top of it has been I'm on medication Um, which is so helpful. It's a mood stabilizer, and it definitely doesn't fix everything, but it holds me at a certain point that then I have enough of a leg up to do the things that are helpful for myself. So I also know if I'm entering into a manic episode, which hasn't happened for a very long time, I've got sleeping tablets because I don't sleep if I'm having a manic, like I'll sleep for 40 minutes a night. So I've got them just to get me because sleep is a foundation for everything for me. So if I get a good night's sleep, I can generally manage what comes after that. Um, But mania is a different beast because you feel so good that you don't want to put a stop to it. Um, So it's such a challenge for me because and like I said before, I sort of think, well, I'm not suicidal wanting to die, so why would I want to fix this? And bipolar is so hard to diagnose because no one goes to the doctor when they feel good. So, you know, it kind of gets missed sometimes.
0: Yeah. But as you said, once you were diagnosed, everything kind of made sense then.
1: Yep. And it's hard because I, I felt good but i was so irritable my thoughts were going a thousand like just 10 steps ahead of where i actually was and so once you know the the mania sort of comes down i actually do feel better because i feel more like myself but yeah i knew that something wasn't quite sitting right with i don't know if i answered your question i kind of just went on a bit of a tangent but um that's all fine yeah <laughs>
0: To lighten the load just a little bit. So, what does well Lucy look like today? What things are in your life that make Lucy well?
1: Um, I never thought I would live away from my parents and cope. So now I live with my brother, um, down in Adelaide, and I am working shift work, which is something that I never thought I'd be able to cope with either. But managing myself. And, you know, actually, when I introduce myself to people, my mental health is not the first thing I talk about anymore. So I used to feel the need to, when I met someone or when I, yeah, it was when I was having a conversation with someone, it would be one of the first things I would bring up because it was like, well, if I act a certain way or if I do this, then people will know why I do these things. But now I know there's so much more to me. There's so many more things that I do in my life. You know, I've been traveling and sport and all this stuff that I know makes me a human before the mental health. It is a huge part of me and it is it makes up a lot of who I am today and why I do the things I do and speak to people the way I speak to people. But it's not a personality. It's not, yeah, my whole
0: being, you've come to realise that there is more to Lucy than just that—that that mental health diagnosis or that mental illness yeah. diagnosis, which yeah. that, which was always there, but you just had to see it. That was the you yeah, know, and that's the <clears throat> that's part of that journey. Yeah. Um, so uh, there is a couple of things I want to ask you before we finish off, but <clears throat> in our conversation we had a couple of weeks ago on the phone um when you gave me a call thinking telling me that you'd had nothing to talk about but you um, <laughs> but but I I knew that you would and and you know what you've talked about and being so candid about your journey I'm I'm really grateful for that because and you don't understand how that's going to help other people because understanding you know that you can be in these places but also come out the other end is is really a really important message but um you know hearing from someone who's lived through some fairly difficult challenges um it's really um inspiring to other people that are traveling that same journey to be able to hear that and that probably leads to um the night that we met and you probably don't remember much of it but it had a massive impact on me and for a number of reasons and and one was we we had a conversation and as i said those that have heard me talk have heard this story a, a few times that you know that i share um the night that that we met and the impact that it had on me and there was one of the first lessons that you taught me was that you sat down and and shared a little bit of your story with me um so as a parent that was Um, A fairly powerful um, lesson, because you know I had kid, a couple of kids around the same age as you at the same time at home, and really questioned whether they would talk to me about the problems or what you shared with me that night. Um, So that was the first lesson that you know you have to make sure that your kids are surrounded by a great support network that they can share their journey with, um, you know, as if they need to. The other one was <clears throat> you're probably the first person that ever come up and wanted to talk to me after one of my talks. So that was, oh, that, really? was that was also a thing. But I think <clears throat> the thing that really got me, and you probably don't even know this, but your mum sent me a message the next morning. and um, And that really inspired me to keep doing what I do today because I never realised just sitting down and talking with someone the, like the impact that that had, and and that probably didn't play out for another year or so later. Until, um, and I, I want you to talk about this because I actually, as a, and I've messaged you and told you this that I listened to it on the way home from Mildura the other day. But you, um, you paid me the ultimate compliment because <clears throat> you sent me a little message and it said something along the lines that you know I couldn't have shared my story without hearing yours which was – that was the ultimate compliment. But you stood up in front of your school and shared your story, which was, yeah, so powerful. Like, yeah, I don't want to go too much. I'll start getting tears in my eyes. But it was Mm -hmm. so powerful for you to stand up in front of your school. And and that paid the ultimate compliment to me because, you know, by that little message saying I couldn't have – you know, part of that message couldn't you have shared mine – story if i hadn't have heard yours well that was the ultimate compliment to me was that you were paying my story forward by sharing your own and that you know that was so powerful and made me just change my whole perspective on what i was um, trying to achieve as a speaker but can you tell me a little bit about that day that it was for are you okay day at your school Um, You were on crutches because you had a (laughs) a knee operation. I just
1: had another knee operation, yes.
0: Um, And you walked onto the stage and and shared your story, um, similar to what you've just shared with us now. Um, How did that make you feel and what was the reaction from your peers to, to you sharing your story?
1: The reaction was up so positive I didn't have anyone say anything negative about it I think I made a lot more sense to people after that um like I said I was I was so hit and miss and I'd walk in and you know say a few things that had been shot from the hip sometimes um but I think I started to make a lot more sense and I'd have people like I'd be walking from one class to the other, and people that I had never spoken to before had come up and would say hello or, you know, thank you so much for sharing. It was so great to hear. But beforehand, I felt sick. I felt because I thought I was going to go up there, say what I was going to say, I was going to stumble through the whole thing. And I was, you know, people were going to see it as attention seeking or something like that. And again, that's just the negative. That's the way that my brain was wired. That's how I spoke to myself. Um, but I had my best friend sitting next to me and it was one of, I felt so good afterwards because it opened up so much conversation and I had school counsellors telling me that, you know, they had so many emails come through saying, can I come in and see you? The people that they'd never spoken to before. Um. And it it was the only thing that I can say is that was before even the bipolar diagnosis. So some people saw that as Lucy's well, it's all done. But I was still in the thick of it. And at the time I was I was well when I did that. But you know, life ebbs and flows and and we move through things. And so I was actually back in hospital. I don't remember how long after that but it's the response was so positive and I felt I felt really positive afterwards knowing that you know people were coming up to me in tears afterwards hugging me and it was good and it felt good to not feel like I was lying anymore because I definitely wasn't telling the truth about who I was and what I was feeling when I was going into school every day so it was Yeah, I wasn't lying anymore about who I was and what I was going through when the doors were closed.
0: I think think you've touched on a really important message. For anyone that's diagnosed with a mental illness or a mental health challenge of, of any description that it's, it's not a linear experience where it's not a start and a finish. It can, as you said, ebb and flow and and you can be in a state where you can get up and share your story and then <clears throat> fall backwards again. And yeah. And and that's that's part of the journey. So that's I think that's a really important um distinction for people to understand that, you know, it's 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 not a linear experience and 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 you've described that, that beautifully.
1: Learning to accept that has been um, one of the things that keeps me grounded now knowing that I don't get too caught up on being well anymore. I used to go like, oh, I'm well and I'm never going to feel sad ever again ever because I'm well and I've moved past it but I definitely am and that's so okay. But I use it when I'm not feeling good as well to know, well, you know, the good times pass. The angry, every emotion that I've ever had has always passed, given time. So I know that if I am depressed or if I'm having a bad day or if a negative thought crosses my mind, it's okay to sit in it and to feel it because it, it's going to pass. So it's okay. So just enjoy what joy, enjoy it while it's happening.
0: Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> Now I'm really conscious of of your time, and um, oh no, I've got plenty. I've got the day off, Warren, so we're good to go. (laughs) We're good to go. Um, I probably, as a new budding podcaster, I probably should have left this episode for much longer because I'm I'm struggling to find the words because yeah, um, to to ask you the right questions and. Uh, and to get you to be able to share your story because it's just, it's it's something that, um, and look, we haven't clapped eyes on each other since that, that night that we met, but uh, the, the impact that you've had on my life um, or as my life as a speaker has been so profound. And that's, so I'm struggling to find the questions, but is there anything that we've, touched on or haven't touched on that you would like to share with the audience as far as your journey or or advice that you would give to either the 13 year old Lucy or to someone else that's really struggling with their with their mental health at the moment is there anything that you would like to share or or expand on as far as your story goes
1: um there actually is one thing that I did want to touch on that I use as an example for a lot of things. Um, I remember one day I had just got, it was around the time that I got my driver's license, so I was around 17, and mum had texted me to get some things from Woolies before I came home from school. But I'd had the worst day, and I had decided on that day, I was like, right, I've had enough. I'm going to go home and I'm going to end my life. I'm done. And so I went to Woolies for mum and I remember walking from the car park into the shops and I'd crossed about five different people at this time. Didn't even acknowledge each other, you know. We were just going about our lives. And I had this thought of I just inside was just screaming. Like I, I wanted someone to ask me how I was so I could tell them that I was not okay. And I think now, and even I'll be walking through shopping centres mindlessly and have this thought of they had just walked past me and had no fucking idea how I was feeling. They had no idea the thoughts that were going through my head, no idea the day that I'd had, how the last you know four or five years had played out for me. So what are they going through that I don't know about? And that day changed every interaction that I will ever have with anyone. Because I think if they don't know what I'm going through and what I was going through was about to end my life, how do I know? You know, I've got no idea what they're going through. So just being kind. because. If someone had been remotely negative to me in that moment or said something to me or, you know, and I understand we can't all be perfect and we slip up sometimes and sometimes we're all frustrated and say some things we don't mean. But at the base, just giving the best version of myself that I have at that time because you you truly have no idea what people are going through. And what's led up to that exact moment in that person's life, because life goes on and we have to live life. You know, we can't just do nothing. So, you know, that person could have lost their mum that day, or just all those things that has, that day changed every interaction that I'll have with everyone ever.
0: <clears throat> it's taught taught you a lot about empathy. Your journey's taught you yeah. to be empathetic to. To other people 's situations and, and even though that mightn't have played out <coughs> in all aspects of your life, but that was a great um, lesson to learn that day <coughs> talking about bullying at the start we were talking about bullying for those kids that that are the bullies out there um, at you know in those schools what what could you say to them that could change their whole perspective on their behaviour and 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 how they treat other people, and I know we just talked about kindness, but knowing that impact that it had on you, how what do you think we could do to change? Because you know, bullying's still a massive part of a lot of, um, especially at school, but you know, it plays out in workplaces and that. that what yeah. could you? What would you say to those bullies?
1: Um. It actually comes, my favourite author is Matt Haig and he writes a bunch of um, like different books and I've read them all and they're all fantastic. They're all my favourites. But he says, love is the only thing that will save us. And I think now that I'm older and again, perspective and hindsight is just a fabulous thing. But it all came from a place of people not having enough love in a certain area of their life and I look back and you know my parents were both together I came from such a lovely home I played sport I had this perfect in quote life that when I look back the people that were bullying me didn't have those things and it and it comes from a place of of jealousy and what people think is hate but it it actually is jealousy and and at that age it's so hard to you know you have no idea what's going on when you're 13 because you're trying to work it out and you're trying to fit in and you're trying to not make too much noise because you don't want to stand out too much so you're just trying to work out where you sit at the table but there is a seat for everybody and tearing other people down doesn't make you sit any higher
0: it's pretty hard to believe that you're only 21 lucy (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah um yeah as i said part of part of the idea of my podcast was to share stories of people that i've got to meet and and you know the most powerful thing that we can do is share their wisdom and yeah that's um That's pretty powerful advice. You've probably just answered one of those questions that I said to you at the start that I was going to ask you um, who's your favourite author or what your favourite books are, but you've already discussed uh, that with us. Is there any other books that you like reading? Because I'm gathering that you like reading. and I do. um,
1: Um, Matt Haig is – is a fantastic author. So his book, Reasons to Stay Alive, I've read that three times. And he speaks a lot about his journey through mental health and he's got one on anxiety as well. And he's got one that's called The Midnight Library. And that book, without giving it away too much, this the girl tries to end her life at the start of the book and then just goes through this journey of all the different lives that she'd wished you know cuz she spent all, her whole life going I wish I'd done this I wish I'd done this what if I'd done this and she actually goes through all those lives in the midnight library and works out that she actually loves where and who she is and i just gave away the whole book but it made me think like i am exactly where i need to be and it just made me so grateful for the life that i'm living and that i'm exactly where i need to be with exactly the people that I'm meant to be with so that was quite a a calming book and it yeah made me think that perhaps we should all stop wishing our lives away and just enjoy what we've got because it's pretty great
0: Mm, fantastic um I'll, I'll have to look those books up myself they sound um very um powerful what about music are you into music and and if you are what what what's the favorite? What's your favorite music? What do you like listening to?
1: Um, it's very mood dependent. I the music that I was listening to at thirteen. It, sometimes if I press shuffle, it will come up now, and that's very sad. But I am now music. Influ- I go through phases of podcasts to music, um, but. I'm a bit of everything, except I'm not a country girl. I don't like country music. But, yeah, a bit of everything. But it is mood dependent. But I do try then to not, you know, self-sabotage. And when I'm sad, listen to sad music. I try and balance it out.
0: Yep. And what about your favorite quote?
1: Um, Probably the one that I mentioned before of love is the only thing that will save us yep and I think surrounding you know the thing that saves me and every answer that i've never that I've ever needed to any question that I've ever had regarding my life, I've always had it within me. I've just needed a circle of love around me to bring it out and it may have taken eight years for me to get well, and at some stage I might be on well again, but I know the only thing that brought me out of that was love not only from other people but from myself too so yeah i think love is the only thing that will save us
0: i think that's an important thing we've got to learn to love ourselves as well particularly when that that internal conversation is trying to tell us quite the opposite yeah now um before we finish up once again i just really like to thank you for for coming on and and being a guest on the podcast and 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 being so open and candid with sharing your story and you know obviously I knew a little bit of your story but um you know the the challenges that you've faced um for someone that's of you know that's still got a lot of life le- left to live um you've got you've got a lot of wisdom you've got a lot of good things to share and I'm and I'm sure by sharing your story today you've you'll have inspired um people listening um people that are struggling regardless of age um to know that you know you can get better and you know that important message to know that it's it's not a linear experience and it can be ups and downs and backwards and forwards and But at the end of the day, um, you know, you can push through. One of the last questions or the last question I want to ask you is uh, just a a lighthearted one. And, you know, if you could have a dinner party there in Adelaide and you could invite five people, they um, will exclude family, um, but but five people that, you know, can be alive or dead, whether you've met them or not, um, and you could invite them to a dinner to a dinner party or a barbecue whichever you prefer who would they who would those five people be
1: my first one would be matt haig the author of those books that i was telling you about second one would be hugh van Keilenberg, the guy from the resilience project i'd love to have a conversation with him the next two which i think are very worthy is hamish and andy because i think That would just make the dinner party fantastic. And the last one would be Avicii because Avicii, we could have him on the decks and I think he'd be great.
0: (laughs) Could be a bit of entertainment from (laughs) Hamish and Andy and a a bit of music as well.
1: Absolutely.
0: So Lucy, moving forward from, from today, um what's your vision or of your life moving forward what um you know to finish on a positive note and obviously mm-hmm. we've already explained you know that there could be ups and downs from now on as well but your vision of your life moving forward um what's that look like to you now compared to say that 13 year old girl
1: are very different because I see a future now um, i don't really know what it holds I try I used to you know try and have these really set plans as to where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. but when the plans didn't work out, I would see it as a failure when it wasn't a failure. um sometimes life just points you in different directions than where you thought you were going to end up. but I think wherever I end up going, I love my job now. I love the people that I'm surrounded with. Like I said, I've got some traveling coming up. I think I've got knowledge and wisdom. Like I get to live the rest of my life with this knowledge that some people never get about themselves through their entire life. And every decision can be influenced with just the knowledge and kindness to myself that it it is okay and if I slip up, well, we can. We've got time to fix it, and yeah, I don't know where where life is headed, but I'm so excited for wherever I end up because you know when the the path deviates from where I thought it was going to go, I've never once been disappointed with where I've ended up. So I'm really excited to to see where I where I do end up.
0: Well. <clears throat> Lucy, as i said, um, thanks very much for coming on um yeah you'll, oh, thank you. you'll never know um you'll you'll re- ne- never probably comprehend the impact that you've had um on me um personally but um but for you to say yes and come on the podcast i'm I'm truly grateful and and thank you for sharing your story and and stay well.
1: Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I, I really, really appreciate it.
0: Thanks, and we'll hopefully speak again. Absolutely. Cheers. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast. I appreciate any feedback, and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode of the Beyond the Back Paddock podcast.